You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, let's get our Bibles out and uh, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, as we continue in our series, We the Church. Uh, We talked about this on the very first message of the series. Not, Not the only church. Not the only church, every church that opens the word of God and preaches it and uh, preaches the gospel, the good news of deliverance through Jesus Christ. Um, Everyone who's in that is the church and we are part of that, but we're called together here as the church. And uh, so the series is We the Church. On week one, we took a look at unashamed proclamation, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology is uh, one of our pillars. The second message last week, a service that was a little bit different with a, a lot more singing a lot more worship and singing. We uh, heard a message on unashamed worship, lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. And today, we're taking a look at a message entitled Unafraid Witness. Unafraid Witness, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. Uh, This text that I'm preaching from, I actually used as part of a text for a message that I did in a series we did back in uh, October 2012, the Never the Same series, and the message from Romans 1, 8 to 17 was called Good News. Uh, You can feel free to go back and listen to that message, and then you'll know I didn't just preach the same message again today, and you'll have the blessing of hearing the whole thing twice. And, uh, but we come into this context today about unafraid wit. We talk about sharing the good news. It's the responsibility of every follower of Jesus Christ. Paul was sold out to communicating the gospel to everyone, anyone, whenever he could as he encountered them along the way. So why do we find ourselves so reluctant to do the same? Why would it be that we cower sometimes or we we sink away or the door opens wide for us and we choose not to go through it? Why are we reluctant about the gospel? And so today we want to be challenged in that in our own walk. And maybe you can even think this past week of a door of opportunity for you to give a word about the Lord was open to you. And as you're sitting here this morning and you go, yeah, I let that go. I let that go. And uh, you might have all kinds of reasons and all kinds of things that support what you think you didn't do, what you did. But the reality is we have the good news of Jesus Christ. And why are we so often so reluctant to tell the good news? So if you've got your Bibles open by now, we want to stand as we honor God as we read his word. So let's do that. Just two verses today. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you again for the privilege to meet together and stand here holding your word in our hands. The privilege, God, to read it the privilege to understand from the pages that Jesus Christ came, that he is our good news. Our hope and our salvation is found in him. And yet, Lord, as we look at this message, Unafraid Witness, we realize just how far we fall short sometimes in the proclamation, in the sharing, in the giving of the best news that has ever been given. 
So Lord, encourage our hearts, challenge us. Lord, if we need to be rebuked today, would you do that? If we need to be corrected today, would you do that? If we need to be encouraged today, Lord, would you do that? But Lord, would you spur us on to love and good deeds as a result of hearing your word today? Give us ears to hear, minds that we might understand, and then hearts, God, that we would leave this place, this place passionate for you and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, as I said, we're just going to walk through the, the uh, verses. And the first thing I want us to take a look at, it. Paul says, I am not ashamed. Unashamed. Unashamed. Webster's Dictionary says the word unashamed means or from a feeling of guilt, regret, or sadness that you have because you know you've done something wrong. The ability to feel guilt, regret, or embarrassment. Shame. We've all experienced it at some point. It, it, it could be a major thing. It could be a major moral failure in your marriage and you feel the shame that comes from that. Um, it could be the, a failure for your mom and dad and they had expectations for you and you had expectations and you made promises and you felt shame. Um, the word unashamed from the Greek word really is around three major areas. It's around failure. It's around embarrassment, but the third part is around fear. Paul says, I am not ashamed. And why would we be ashamed? Well, we're ashamed. People are ashamed because they haven't lived up to what the expectations are or what the standard was. And as a result, I feel shame. Sometimes that failure is perceived and sometimes it's real. And uh, so people don't come to church because they're like, uh, I'm so ashamed. Uh, sometimes it's because I won't live up to what the expectation is and I already know it. And so I'm going to be pre-shamed. I'm just, I'm not going to get involved. I'm and shame. Sometimes it's because we're afraid or fear. Or sometimes our shame shows because what we're going to be called to is going to be unpopular. And so Paul starts out and he says, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. So what's the opposite to that? What would the opposite of a shame look like? Well, the opposite of shame would look like this. I am confident. I am bold. I am courageous. I am firm. I am sure. Paul says, I am not ashamed. Here's what I am. I'm courageous, I'm bold, I'm confident, I'm firm, I'm sure. There were lots of things that Paul messed up in. There were lots of things he struggled through. There were lots of reasons for him to feel shame when you think about all that he did to Christians before he came to know the Lord. I'm sure he wrestled through that whole thing about shame. But in Jesus Christ, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. It's not I'm not ashamed about anything. He says in the next word, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So I got thinking about that and uh, some of the reasons why we might be ashamed, uh, put the word fail or embarrassed or fearful. Uh, why would we be ashamed of the gospel? Well, one, if you're right outside of the box and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you come to church every day and, you know, people are talking to you and you're wrestling through all this stuff and, but you don't know the Lord 
Um, that's not really so much about shame. You don't have the information yet. You, have, you haven't come to, to the place of trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, for the rest of us who are in the room, uh, why would we be ashamed? Why would we be fearful? Why would we be embarrassed? Why would we fail? I think sometimes we would say things like, well, I don't know enough. I, I know about the gospel. I, I asked Jesus into my heart, but, but who am I to talk? I just, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. And to you, I would say, don't be discouraged. Keep growing in the Lord and tell people what you know. I don't know enough. I might do it wrong. I might say the wrong thing. I, I'm talking to a coworker and I, I might not say it like you say it on Sunday at church. Yeah, believe me, when I'm sitting across the table from somebody and I don't have a script in front of me, I wrestle with, do I say it exactly the right way? I might say it the right way. You know what the problem with that is? Somehow you think that the results are dependent on you. The results aren't dependent on you. No one ever came to Christ because I changed their life. The Lord's given me many, many opportunities to pray with someone who trusted in Christ. And it's an amazing thing. But they come to Christ when God lifts the veil. They come to Christ when Jesus Christ takes them from death and to life. And I don't save anybody. And so I don't need to fear. I might do it wrong. I might say the wrong thing. Because that comes to the next thing. I don't do it because somehow I get the impression that the results depend on me. How prideful and boastful is that? That you actually think the salvation of someone is a result of you? It's a result of the work of Jesus Christ. It's a result of God working. It's a result of him bringing them from death to life. And the amazing thing is that he would even use us in that process. Why else would I might be ashamed? Well, I might be ashamed because I'm afraid to suffer. I'm afraid I might suffer. Uh, we live in Canada. We don't suffer very much for the gospel here. Uh, the suffering here might be some a teasing. It might, be, might even be the lack, loss of a, a job or not getting a promotion. But last time I checked, people in Canada aren't dying for their faith. But, but we're afraid because um, we might suffer a little bit. But the reality is that God promises to go with us when we're obedient. He promises to go with us through whatever's going to happen. Uh, Sue and I had a young lady after the service come and ask us to pray for her um, because in her family, uh, they know about her faith and even her mom and dad talk about her behind her back to her friends and all the rest and she wants to be a faithful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what she was praying for and it's like, you know what, if I have to suffer for this, I will suffer for this, but I'm going to be faithful and uh, but some people don't witness because we might suffer a little bit. Here's another reason that we don't uh, share the gospel with people like we should, because we're ignoring the consequences for them. See, if you don't ever think about what will happen to my neighbor if they don't know Christ, if you don't ever think about what will happen to my spouse or my children or my coworker, if you don't think about the consequences, then all of a sudden you don't feel like the gospel is all that important. But the consequences are critical. What is going to happen to your neighbor or your spouse or your kids or your coworker if they don't know Christ? They're going to be separated from God for eternity in a place that is called hell. And so we don't share the gospel because we ignore the consequences. Sometimes we don't share the gospel because we hold too tightly to relationships. 
And we think that the friendship I have with somebody is more important than the result of them hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, and here's one. I don't share the gospel, you ready? Because my faith is personal. My faith is personal. It's my faith. I don't even mean that in an arrogant kind of way. I just mean like, you know, it's between me and God. It's not for me to force it on other people. My faith is my personal faith. The interesting thing, part of that statement is true. Your faith is personal. You come to Christ on your own. Somebody might share the gospel with you. Somebody might share the verses we heard earlier. All those things. You don't, you're not saved because your family was saved. You come to Christ at a personal level. Everyone does. Nobody gets in in the mass that just runs through the door. It's a personal decision. So in one sense, your faith is personal. But the sharing of your faith is commanded. Um, Go into all the world and make disciples. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And there are lots of verses in the Bible that talk about our responsibility. And we need to take what we have, the gift we have, the news that we have, and we need to share it in our world. Paul says, I am not ashamed. Were you ashamed this week? Was there an opportunity that you were given and you let the opportunity slip by because you were afraid? You were afraid to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul says, I am unashamed of what? I'm unashamed of the gospel. The gospel. The word simply means the, the good news. It's the good news. Not only is it the good news, it's the best news. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Paul reveals his heart in this about his passion for the city that was uh, Rome and his reaching out to them even with this letter. He wasn't sure he was ever going to get there so he wanted to make sure he sent this letter to them so they would have all of this information that he gives in this book and, and we took almost a whole year to preach through the book and think about the things he said but right up front he says I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the good news. It is the good news. Uh, so what is it? Well, you heard some of the verses. I, I might repeat a couple of them, but uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the good news. Romans 5.6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's the good news. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. It's all about what God did. It's not about what you do. That's the good news. Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. That's the good news. Acts 16, 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Are we ashamed of that news? Paul says, I am unashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Around here, I often refer to uh, what, what we call the Romans Road. It's just to taking the verses that uh, Paul used in this text and um, how, could you, how you could share the gospel with someone. And the Romans Road starts in uh, Romans 3 and verse 10. And so get your pen, pencil out. And even if you're not taking notes, this would be a good exercise for you to do. If you've got your Bible open, and uh, when you get to um, Romans 3 and verse 10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous no, not one. There's none righteous, not even one. So you can underline that or mark that first, but out in the column, write the words 323, chapter 3, verse 23. And, and then you go down the page to verse 23, and there it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then out in the column, write 6, 23. And then go over to chapter 6 and verse 23. And it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, that's the gospel being proclaimed and shared right out of the book of, of Romans. And then in Romans 6, 23, in the column wrote right there in 5, 8, chapter 5 and verse 8. But God shows his love for us. See, Romans 6, 23 leaves us in a desperate place. But in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. But when I was a sinner and while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Then out in the column, write 10, Chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. Then out in the column, write 8, 1. 8, 1. The greatest news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing hope. What a working of God. And then in the column, write 8, 38 and 39. Chapter 8, 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. That's the good news. Paul laid it out all over the book of Romans. We heard verses about it today. The good news is that I was separated from God and I had no hope. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and was the right and righteous payment for my sin. And if I believe in him, I will be saved and nothing can separate me from the love of God. I am not afraid. I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
I gave you what we call the Romans Road, and uh, we've printed these before. We updated it on this side of this little card. It's a, a card that you can use as an invitation to invite somebody to come to church. It says, you're invited one church, two campuses, where they are. On the back of it is all those verses we just talked about, the Romans Road. As you're going out, there's going to be a table by the door. There's a bunch of them there. I don't want you to take 50. I want you to take one or two or three and put one in your Bible and put one in your wallet or in your purse. And, and when you're talking with someone, go, hey, I can just show you some verses from God's word. You might not have a Bible in front of you. You can use it to invite somebody to come to church, but it's a tool that you can use so that you can share the gospel, the good news. Paul said, I'm unashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, the text goes on and we want to move through this more quickly, but how does it work? How does it work when he says, I am unashamed of the gospel he says, um, for it is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation. Um, the word comes from the word that we get our word dynamite. is the word dunamos. It's, but it's not the sense that it goes boom. It, it's true. It's how powerful it is. But the point of the verse is that it accomplishes what it needs to accomplish. It does what it needs to do. It has the power to accomplish the work that is required. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power. See, sometimes we think we are the power. Eh, wrong answer. We are not the power. God is the power. God's spirit is the power. God's word working is the power. And so it takes all of the pressure off when I think if I don't deliver on this, it's going to go sideways when what God calls us to is be faithful. It is the power of God. The good news is the power. The gospel is certainly good news, but it's more than information. It has an inherent power. The gospel is not advice to people suggesting they lift themselves up. It is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that the gospel brings power, but that it is power and God's power at that how it works. The gospel works through God's power. That's, what it, that's how it works. Well, what does it do? The text goes on and says, it is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God that will save people. Uh, isn't that what we're after after all? Isn't that what we're going for? That people would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. For salvation. Well, salvation from what? Salvation from a separation from God for eternity in hell. That's salvation. To what? Salvation to an eternity with God in heaven. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. The people who don't know the Lord your friends, your neighbors, your, the ones that we don't tell, they need the gospel so they won't go to hell. They need the gospel so they can go to heaven. Now, let me just clarify. As a follower of Jesus Christ, eternal life doesn't start when you get to heaven. Doesn't start there. It just gets way better when you get to heaven. Okay. Eternal life starts the moment you trust Jesus Christ. 
Eternal life doesn't mean you're going to have it easy. It doesn't mean it's, it's going to be all peaches and cream and, and you're not going to go through hardship or pain. It doesn't mean any of that. We're going to learn to go through those things and we're going to suffer. And, and because we're looking forward to a city, we're looking forward to something that will be way better down the road. But eternal life begins when a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ and nothing can separate us from the love of God. I am in Christ. I'm just looking forward to the upgrade when we get to heaven. It's the power of God so that people can be saved. It's the power of God for salvation. That's what it does. Do you have a clear story of God's salvation in your life? Because so often that's where we have to start. We have to talk to people about who we are and what God has done in our life. And, and they're asking, like, you're different from me. You, you don't do some things. Or you, I'm not sure I figured you out yet. And, and do you have a story that you can tell? A story that ends up in how God worked and what he did. And not a story muddied by who you think you are and your works, but just that brings back to, it's the story of my salvation and what God did for me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God uh, for salvation. That's what it does. It saves people. Well, who is for? Who is this, this, this gospel for? The text says, it says in verse 16, for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. Not for everyone who works harder. Not for anybody who tries more. Not for anybody who is a nicer person or a more good person. It's for everyone who believes. That's who it's for. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and God makes us alive in Jesus Christ. But you have to believe. This quote came out of the earlier message. The gospel does not announce that everyone is safe or saved because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's universalism. Jesus died. Everybody's going to heaven. It's not what the text says. It's not what the Bible teaches. The gospel is only effective in those who believe the good news. When you believe what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you, then you are saved. And so the gospel, who it's for, it's for everyone who believes. The good news is that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, that he has done everything that was needed to save us. It's for everyone who believes. That's who it's for. Well, how do I get it? Well, it's right in that line as well. You get it by believing. It's for everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone and anyone who believes. But believing is the requirement and believing is the only requirement. That's the requirement for salvation, that you believe the gospel. And so often, even in our church, I hear people and, and they get all their works mixed up in their salvation. Your works, your works aren't part of your salvation. Your works are a result of your salvation. They don't get you your salvation. Salvation is all by God's grace. It's all poured out in his mercy. It's all the gift that comes from God. And as I read already in Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not something you can boast in. It's a work of God. And so what do I have to do? I just have to believe. The gospel is for everyone who believes. So how do I get it? I believe. The only right relationship with God is to take God at his word and to cast yourself on his mercy and the love of God Almighty. It's a way of faith. I believe, I believe. I'm separated from God. I can't fix the problem. 
I believe. I believe. The whole matter is a matter of God's grace. And all we can do is accept his amazing, wonderful love with gratitude in our heart for what he has done for us. Yeah, it brings a change in your life. We'll see that in just a minute. But it's all about believing. You know, another way you can look at the gospel, you can look at it like the Romans Road, or you could use just an ABC illustration with somebody, and like, what does it really come right down to when you think about what is the gospel? What, what, are, you, what are you believing in? What are you telling someone their belief needs to be in? Well, you have to believe, first of all, that you're, you're a sinner. You have to admit it. A, admit you're a sinner. If you don't ever get to the place where you're a sinner, then you don't believe you need a savior. What do you, what do you need a savior for if there's nothing wrong with you? Um, but there's lots wrong with us. There's none righteous, not even one. And so, if the person beside you thinks they're the, no, not even one. And you can't believe until you understand that you have failed and fallen short of the glory of God and you admit you're a sinner. And then the next thing is you believe, you trust that Christ is who he said he is and he did what he said he would do. You believe. I believe. I believe that Jesus was who he said he was. I believe he did what he said he, he would do. I believe he did it for me. You, you believe. And then you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the only sufficient gift. He is the only right payment. He is the Lord. Well, how do I do that? Is there like some magical thing I have to do? Is there some magical? You just need to pray. You just need to pray and admit and believe and confess. And well, so what would I say? Well, here's, here's what you might say. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve the consequences of my sin. However, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ as my savior. I believe that his death and resurrection provided for my forgiveness I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing gift of eternal life, for saving me and forgiving me. Amen. It doesn't have to be those exact words. It doesn't have to be those exact words, but it's what the content of that is. You coming before the Lord and admitting and believing and confessing, and you will be, you will be saved. Hey, if you're here today and you've never done that, see, this is a message about unafraid witness for the followers of Jesus Christ. The gospel is so simple. We, we make it so complex. It's not complex. It's the simple truth of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And, and the greatest hurdle people have to get over, other than I'm a sinner, is, is it's that simple. I, I don't have to do something for it. No, God did it all. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, I, I beg of you, I cry out to you. I can't make it any more clear than I'm seeking to make it today. And God's spirit has to work in your heart and bring you to that place. But if you've come to that place, you understand that the path you're on is taking you to destruction and separation from God. And Jesus Christ answers that. Then this is the day of salvation. And you need to be that person praying in your heart. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve the consequences of my sin. However, Lord, today I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe that his death and resurrection provided for my forgiveness. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing gift of eternal life, for saving me. It's done. You pray that prayer, it's done. You don't have to earn it. You can't deserve it. And it's done. There's nothing more. Salvation is yours in Jesus Christ. 
Believe on the Lord and you will be saved. Well, the last thing I want to take a look at is in verse 17. It's how I live. How I live. In verse 17, it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, all of your sin is put on him. All of it. All of the past sin, all of the sin right now, and even all of the sin you'll ever commit. It's all covered by the blood of Christ. It's all put on him. He's taken the whole deal for you. And his righteousness is put on you. When God looks at you, he sees you through the lens of who Jesus is and what he did for you. Does that mean I'm a perfect person and I don't sin? No, no. God is taking care of all of that in my salvation. Uh, but there's a change as that happens in me. You can't take hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God does for us in our salvation without being overwhelmed by how awesome that is. It's not some little thing that he did for you. He died for you. He paid the price for you. He took all of your sin. And so it's not like, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my savior. I got a ticket. I'm going to heaven. No, it changes you. It has to change you. You can't receive a gift that's that amazing, that undeserved, that life-changing and not make a difference in your life. It changes us. His righteousness is attributed to us. It's put on us. The picture of his character, of his faithfulness, his status, righteous. Me? Yeah, in God's eyes, righteous. That's something that is declared of me. Now, it's also something that I live for and I live toward that the righteousness of Christ might be in me and I would demonstrate it out in our world. There is an active part of that, but there's a part that God does and then there's the part that we do because it changes us. It says um, in the text, it says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It's all about faith. It's all about what God did. It's all about how we come to Christ in faith. And now it's all about how we live for him by faith. This idea of the righteous shall live by faith was not something that Paul came up with on his own. Um, it's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you determine you want to say it. Um, I can never preach from that book because I can't figure out how to say the name of it. So I only refer to it once in a while while I'm preaching. But uh, in that book, chapter two and verse four, it says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It's, it's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And we're called to be people of God who live out the faith that Christ has put, has put in us. Faith is the vehicle that brings the righteousness of God to people. And faith is the vehicle by which we live out the righteousness of Christ that is in me. You cannot be the same once you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has done revolutionizes our life. Not perfectly. I'm not what I will be. I'm not what I should be, but I'm sure not what I was. 
You can't be the same. And as a result, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not afraid to share the gospel. I'm not embarrassed by the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, so what? So what? Paul's message was the good news. His message was the gospel. As a matter of fact, in the book of Philippians, there were people who were preaching the gospel, trying to make Paul feel bad. And, uh, and, and he said, I, I don't even really care. I don't even care what their motives are as long as the gospel is preached. As long as the gospel is preached. See, for me to be fulfilled and thrilled and love what I do, that can happen if you bring someone to church and at the end of the service, they go, yeah, I, I need to know more about Christ. And you bring them up to the front and myself or George or Jason, and, and I get to stand there with you and talk to the person and they trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Believe me, that's an amazing day in my life. It's an amazing day whenever that happens. But I got to tell you, a better day for me is when you bring the person and you say, we were just sitting together back there and I shared with them the good news of Jesus Christ and, and Jim or Mary, whoever, right here in our church, they prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their savior. See, it's not about the experts at the front, it's about the good news that we have. Or with that person who you have in your workplace and you then bring them out to church and say, I've been, I've been sharing the gospel with this person for four years and last week they trusted Jesus Christ as their savior. You wanna turn your pastor's crank? That's how you turn the pastor's crank. When you're not afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation. Paul felt no shame in declaring it. He was eager to proclaim it because it was a message that delivers people from death to life. Okay, so this is card day, apparently at Harvest Bible Chapel. In your bulletins is one of these. And uh, so if you have a bulletin, if you got one on the way in, there's one of these in it. I want you to take it out. And I want you to look at it. And if you didn't get a bulletin, there's some of these on that table uh, when you're going out as well. It's called Unafraid Witness. The verses that we've been looking at are at the top. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then there's um, some boxes there. There's what we've called red apples and green apples. I want you to think about the people that you're gonna ask God to open the opportunity for you to share the gospel with them. The red apples are people who are ripe to hear the gospel. There are people who you've talked to or they've asked you about your church or they've asked you about who you are or why you are like you are and all of those kind of things. Those are, are red apple people. And I want you to consider writing two names down of people who you will pray for that God will give you an opportunity to present the gospel to them. But more than that, that God not only would give you that opportunity, but that God would save them. Two people. They're red apples. They're not antagonistic. They're not mad at you. They haven't told you, don't you ever talk to me about the gospel. Two red apple people. Unafraid witness. And then I want you to write down two green apples. I'm not talking about green apples in the sense you buy them in the grocery store, they just taste different. I'm talking about it's not ripe fruit yet. You don't pick fruit that's not ripe. They're just going to damage it. You pick an apple before it's ready. It's not like a tomato. Leave it on the shelf and it'll be ready. And a week or so apples aren't like that. So we're talking about, they're not ready to be picked yet. This is probably a family member. Uh, for last night, the girl that came was like her mom and dad. They're green apples. They're, they're antagonistic to the gospel. But she loves them. 
And she doesn't want to be ashamed of the gospel with them. She wants to proclaim the gospel to them. But they're not ready to hear it, or they won't hear it, or they don't want to hear it. But her love for them and her passion for them, and, and I'm going to pray. She says, I'm going to pray that they would become red apples, that they would be ready to hear the gospel. And it might be your spouse, or it might be your neighbor, or it might be your son or your daughter. It might be, but if we're not praying for them, if we're not crying out to God for them, then don't expect anything to happen. And if you're not ready to step in when God opens the door, two red apples, the fruit is ripe and two green apples, the fruit is not ripe. With God's help, I'll pray and be ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. That's the so what. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God. It's the power of God that will save the red apples. It's the power of God that will change the heart of the green apples and bring them to a place where they would hear and understand and listen and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But will you be afraid? Will you be ashamed? Or with boldness, will you step out for the glory of God and live out your faith Live it out with fear and trembling, but in the sense of, I understand this is all about who God is. It's all about what he will do. But I am going to be the person ready to be used for the glory of God in the sharing of the best news ever, the news of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it. We rejoice in its working. Father, I want to pray, first of all, for a red apple who's in the room. I don't even know who they are. And they've heard the gospel today, and maybe they've trusted Christ already. Would you uh, give them the courage, the boldness to tell someone, this is not something to be afraid of or discouraged about. This is the most amazing thing that happens in our lives. And Father, that we could know that we could rejoice together in what you are doing. If someone's here and they're not sure and they still want to know, then Lord, would you give them the courage to ask the person who brought them or to come and see us after the service and ask the question, how can I know that Jesus Christ? And move from darkness to light, move from death to life in Jesus Christ. But Lord, for the rest of us, if we're honest, we realize that sometimes we're not very courageous and we're as a matter of fact, we're scared. And talking our faith can be difficult because of the things that we put up as the obstacles. Or would you break us of ourself and our own pride and our own arrogance and thinking somehow the gospel is more about us than it really is? Would you give us a courage and a boldness and a firmness and a steadfastness that when you open the door, Lord, I'm going to go through to pray for those red apples, to pray for those green apples. And Lord, would you do a work in our church in the salvation of souls. The only way we can explain it, God, is you do it. Do this in us, God, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.